And we'll continue our study through this wonderful, beautiful book of the Bible. Just filled with amazing truths in it, and I'm thankful to the Lord. I got a, I got a question for you uh, this morning. So how do you prepare for guests? All right. Um, you know the guests are coming over. I, well, what are some of the things you do? You can, you can clean the bathroom, right? Yep. What are <laughs> some other things? Hide the silverware. What? <laughs> Hide the silverware. You never know what's going to come out of the mouth of over here and kind of threw my whole sermon off, but hide the, hide the silverware. That's a new one. You can tell who likes guests and who don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I didn't know this. When we went to Argentina, um, somebody came up to us afterwards and said, we need to have you guys come more often. They cleaned the building. They, they, fixed, the, uh, they fixed the kitchen. They put new tile on the floor or everything. They're like, we finally started to pay attention to the building. Now that you guys came back, you need to come more often. You know, they took very good care of us, which was kind of nice. So um, that, that was sweet of them. What are some other things you do? You clean the house, you, you cook. What's that? Prepare food. Prepare food. You got to cook, right? Let me, let me tell you the difference between a husband and a wife. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? I got this today, uh, today, I mean, I got this this week from somebody, I won't mention their names, Matt and Whitney, and they sent this to me. Look at, look at what, how the husband reacts. There's so much to get done today. Laundry, dishes, changing the sheets, food, shopping. That's the wife saying that to the husband. The husband says, yeah, you're, uh, I'm going to cut down a tree branch in the far back of our property that no one sees. See you in five hours. <laughs> Is that an amen? Any amens here, huh? We just don't think the same. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's all ready to get ready for the guests and everything. I'm out there, oh, what, is, what needs to be done? And I do things that don't, um, don't matter or I thought mattered. And I'm so happy I did them. And she looks at me like, why did you do that? We didn't even need to do that, you know. Um, and here I am all happy that I did it. You know, can you believe I did that? Oh, I wanted to do, oh, well, now, we're, now, now what turned out to be a nice thing turned out to be a fight. You know what I mean? And so we're like, wow. And so how do we prepare for guests? Now, here's another question. How are you preparing for the return of Christ? Just got hot in here, huh? <laughs> it was a little cool when you walked in. Now it got a little warm here. A lot of singing, a lot of voices going out. It gets warm here. What are you doing right now to prepare for Christ? That's the, that's the big question. Right? What are we doing? And so we're going we're gonna to talk. Let's look at this in First John chapter Two verses 28 and 29. We're only going to look at a couple of verses today. And then this is really part one. You have to come back next week as part two of the sermon here is some more things that we do in, in, in preparation for his return here. But we're going to look at this here and how he starts us off. Now, he starts saying this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. He says this, Now, little children... And, and really, if you remember last week, we talked about the fact that there's these false teachers, we can call them antichrists, the ones that are preaching a different Christ and upholding somebody who Christ isn't. They're, they're minimizing who Christ is. They're not making him God. They're, they're, they're making him less than a God. And, and, and they're, they're, they're saying all kinds of things and they deviate from what the Bible says. In fact, they have a false Christ. And let me just tell you something. A false Christ does us no good. 
A false Christ doesn't save anyone. A false Christ is, is when somebody believes in a false Christ, it's sending them to the very pit of hell. We need to understand who Christ is in the Bible. He says, now, now little children, don't, 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 don't listen to that. Don't get rattled by this false teaching that you're going to hear about these false Christs, these defective Christs, the, the ones that really can't save. He says this, here's what you ought to do. You ought to abide in him. You, you say, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, it means this, as one person said, abiding in him speaks of both belief and behavior. We must believe who he is. He's the God of the universe. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is Jesus. He is the Messiah. We won't deviate from who he is. We must believe in what the Bible says that Jesus is. I find it amazing. We had we had the um, tennis team over our house and and I'm amazed at some of, even the unsaved people, how they, they, they figure out things. One of them came up to me and said, Coach, those Mormons, they're different, aren't they? They believe some strange things, Coach. Um, and, uh, wow, you know, yeah, you're right. And one of the big things is they don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Although they call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's incredible to think about. And I didn't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Belief is, is important. Abiding in Him, we must believe in who He is in the Bible, who Jesus really is. But then, also on the flip side of that, it's not only belief, it's also behavior. Abiding in Him, as we studied in 1 John chapter 2, means I am going to imitate and walk as Jesus has walked. I am going to obey the Scripture. I am going to guard the Scripture in my heart. I am going to love the brethren. That's abiding in Him. And so it's both belief and behavior. It's both union with Christ and communion with Christ. He says, don't be rattled by what they're saying. You, you abide in him. Now, I love what the Bible says. We have in him every spiritual blessing. Praise God. We've been redeemed in him. We've been reconciled in Him. We've been adopted in Him. We've been forgiven because of Him. Abide in Him. And then, not only that, we are to live it out. We are to have union and communion and fellowship with Him. You say, why is this important? Why do we need to believe the right things about Jesus? Why do we need to walk with Jesus and abide in Him? Look what the verse says in 1 John chapter 2. It says, now little children, abide in Him. Why? So that when He what? Now look at this. doesn't say if He appears. It says when He appears. We can translate that word when as whenever. He appears. And it's interesting there. That word appears is where we get our English word epiphany. You ever have an epiphany? Where all of a sudden you figured something out and it just came to you? When we left for Argentina, we hid some of our stuff. We came back. I forgot where I, I hid the stuff. And I'm like, wait a minute. I hid it so good. I don't even know where it is. And I'm walking around the house, and I'm like, where is that? I mean, this is, you know, where is it? And I can't find it. And I'm looking on the, I can't find it. And so hours went by, and poof, it came to my mind where it was. I had an epiphany. 
I found, I knew where it was, and I ran to it. I, found, I almost kissed it. It was my iPad. I found it. My baby. Where was it? I'm not telling you where it was. But I found it. It speaks of suddenness. It speaks of a surprise. You ever play, play a surprise in your house? We used to do it with the kids. I loved it. We would hide, jump out, surprise, scare them to death. You never did that? Am I the only one? It's all fun. Until we had a guest one time. And little Abigail, how old was she? Four or five? Three. She was three. She comes out from behind the door. Surpresa! The guy almost had a heart attack. Scared him to death. In Spanish, she did. It was beautiful. She jumped out. The guy was like, oh, oh. That's what the word means. There's a suddenness to it. There's a surprise element to it. In fact, it's, it, 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 that's where we get our word epiphany. It's going to come to us. And, and, and really the word appear is interesting. It's the visibility of the return of Jesus Christ. We will see him. It's not just that he's going to appear, but we will actually see him. Every eye will see him, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1. So there's a suddenness, there's a, there's a surprise to it, unexpectedness to it. But yet he is coming and, and it's going to be visible. Notice the other word that's used here in verse 28. His coming, that's an interesting word that, that speaks of a ruler or a king that comes to a city that the city prepares for. Remember when Trump came here to Colorado Springs? I was dumb. I went out that day. I said, Katie, I'll be back. Yeah, right. I got stuck in traffic. I came this close to voting for Biden. Wait a minute. I shouldn't say that in the pulpit. Anyway, the Trump... The traffic drove me crazy. I figured I'll go down this road. No, they had that blocked off. All right, I know Colorado Springs. I'll go down this road. Blocked off. They prepared for the coming of Trump like you wouldn't believe. That's the word here. There's a preparation for a king who is coming. The ruler who is coming. And it says here that it, this is at his coming. Now, now notice this here, uh, what, what Swindoll says. I love this. Christ is coming back one day. It may be when. Now, one amen. You guys aren't ready for it. So. All right, let's just do it next week. Amen. That better? <laughs> now you're ready. Now you're prepared. <clears throat> it may be when? In years. Amen. Wow. <laughs> Somebody's really not ready. Decades. Amen. Hey, man, now you guys are really gone. In centuries, and we don't know. In fact, if anyone tells you they know, Run. <laughs> Because the Bible says in Mark 13, 32, you do not know. No one knows. It's going to come sudden. It's going to come unexpected. It's going to come like a thief in the night. And, and no one knows the hour. Now I know the hour. I told you this before and you got to believe me this. It's between 8 and 9 a.m. I believe he's coming between 8 and 9. Somewhere around the world, it'll be between 8 and 9 a.m. Right, did I get it right or what? Did I get it right? You don't know the hour. 
No one knows the hour, but here's what's amazing. But his future coming from heaven is as certain as his past ascension to heaven. Look at this verse with me. Acts 1, verses 9 to 11. Look what he says here in Acts 1, 11. He says this. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, what are the next words? Will come. In just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. So as they were sitting there watching him, wow, where's he going? They're just standing. He's gone. He went up into the clouds. He's coming back down in the clouds. Same way. You say, wait, 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 give me, give me another one. Here's what's interesting here. John 14, 1 to 3. I love these verses. If you ever meditate, you ever feel discouraged, go to these verses. These are beautiful verses. Notice in, in John 14, 1 to 3, he says this. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Watch this. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, what does it say? I'll come again. See the promise? He promises to come again. Do you know in the Bible, are you ready for this? There are over 300 references to the second coming of Christ in the New Testament. In the 260 chapters of the Bible, over 300, we're going to look at every one of them today. Amen? No, 300, no, 300 references. In almost every book of the New Testament, except, can you guess which, which uh, there's, there's actually four of them. Can you guess which four books it's not mentioned? The, the second coming of Christ? Well, Jude is mentioned. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's there. Oh, you better believe it's there. Starts with a G. Galatians. Not mentioned, interesting. Um, second John doesn't mention it. Third John and Philemon. All right, there's the extra points for you. But, um, uh, but he mentions it here. It's mentioned, every author mentions it. I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you will be also. So it's not a matter of whether or not if he's going to come. We know he is going to come. We know it's going to be sudden. It's going to be like a surprise. It's going to be for a king who comes to rule on this earth. But notice this here. There's different responses to the coming of Christ. Even though we know that he is going to come, the responses are going to be different. Katie and I, we used to like to watch on YouTube when a, when a soldier would come and surprise their kids. I would love those. He would sneak in. She'd be in class just doing that. And he'd just stand in the back. Daddy! And go run the daddy. Some, the, the kid would be in the band playing or something. The dad would come and sneak up right behind. Or the mom. Sometimes it was the mom too. And, and the dad and the mom would come and sneak. The kid would start crying and just, um, what a great response. What's going to be the response to the coming of Christ? Well, here, here's, here's the two options here. Either we're going to run like a child into daddy's arms. Look at the first one. Now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have what? Confidence. This is boldness. This is liberty of speech. This is a political word here. This is, this is excitement here. This is the young child running into the arms of daddy. 
He's home. He's here. It's, it's nothing between our souls and the Savior. We are abiding in Christ. We are believing who He is. We are trusting in who He is. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. We are loving the brethren. We are obeying the Scriptures. We are living for Him. He comes. We are excited about it. We are confident about it because we're in Christ and we're okay. There's a confidence there. There's another reaction that could happen. There's those who are not so confident. There are those who shrink away from him in shame. Now this is very interesting because we understand that all our sins have been covered on the cross. Amen? And when we get to heaven, it's not going to be a PowerPoint of all our sins. Jesus paid for them all. So can a believer feel shame is the question. And, and the answer is, and I want to be careful with this, yes, but for a very short time. Because there's no regret when we're in heaven. We'll get to heaven and we're not going to be regretting it for the rest of our lives and eternity of the things that we didn't do here on this earth. But there is going to be a sense when we stand before our Savior and every motive of the heart is going to come out and everything that we have done for Him. And there's going to be some who receive a loss of reward. Which we could have received a reward, but it was a loss because we may have done the act, but we did it with, with a motive that didn't please God. Or maybe we didn't even do the act. Or, as some have taken this, he, he, he comes at a time when we're not in fellowship with Him. We're not loving the brethren. We're not living for Him. And there's a sense of shame. But I don't think this is just for believers here, the shame He's talking about. I think He's also talking about those who are not in Christ. Those who are in a defective Christ. Who are believing a different Christ who are, have, have believed the false doctrine and are living the false doctrine. There is going to be shame for them. You say, where, where is that in the Bible? Well, look here. In Mark 8.38, he says this, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, there's the belief and there's the behavior and the, the acting out in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be what? Ashamed. There will be shame for those who are not in Christ. In fact, notice what they do here in, in Revelation. It says this in Revelation 6, 15 and 16, Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man, what did they do? They hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the very presence of him who sits on the throne. So instead of running into the arms of Jesus, they run away and try to hide from him. There's the shame. I, I, I remember one time I told my friend, let's skip school. We were in third, at, at third grade or fifth grade. I forget. We were in elementary school. I said, don't worry. My mother works all the time. We got my apart, our apartment to ourselves. We can hang out, play games. We're fine. So we did. And then I hear the doorknob. Mama came home. And let me tell you something about an Italian mother. If you're found doing something wrong, watch out. I ran and hid in a bathtub. 
And I got to know how the bottom of her foot looks <laughs> as she practiced her karate on me and got me pretty good. She'd be in jail 10 years for what she did to me, but she, she got me good. You skips, my son skips school. I will kill you. Oh, where are you? And I was, man, when they was there, shame. That's the kind of thing he's saying here. He's saying, look, we have two options. Either we're abiding in him and believing who he really is and have a relationship with him and walking as he walked and doing the things that he wants to do, or there's going to be a sense of shame when, when, when he comes back because we're going to be taken by surprise. Let me just tell you something here. There is nothing that unnerves us more than unexpected company. Have you been there? I wonder who's at the door. About a year ago, a little bit more, my brother-in-law came, one with a much prettier face than the one back there. He came to our... <laughs> knocked on the door. He's going to beat me up bad. But knock on the door. I opened the door. I mean, I love my brother-in-law. He's... My brother, I love him. I mean, I just... I can't say more. He's amazing. Yeah, his whole family said, Surprise! Katie wasn't even home. It's her brother, not mine. We're here to come on in. Now what? You guys hungry, thirsty? I don't even know. Make, what do I make? I made them hot chocolate. I didn't even know what to make them. Fumbling all over the place. The house was a wreck. Forget about it. The house was not ready. I wasn't ready. They were ready. They were all excited. Kids came in, everything, all excited, everybody. Me, I'm sitting there, Katie, when are you getting home? Katie, help me. I'm in big trouble here. Nothing unnerves us like that when we're not ready. But he is coming at a moment that we just don't know. The question is, are we going to have confidence or are we going to shrink it's back? Are we, we going to shrink back? Are we doing the things that he wants us to do or is he going to catch us in being mad at somebody at the time? Or living for temporal things at the time? Or, or having our mind on things that really don't matter? Or not going after people who need Jesus or, or doing things that don't please him and he comes back and takes us by surprise. We don't want that. He says, abide in him, believe who he is, walk with him. And so when you see him, you run as a child into daddy's arms. And you say, well, Jeremy, I just need motivation. I just don't know how to do it. How, how can I do it? That's why verse 29 is there. This is an amazing verse. Look at this. In, in 1 John 2, 29, he says this, if you know that he is righteous, do you know that? Do you know that Jesus never does anything wrong? Do you know that he always does what is right at the right time? He not only knows what is right, he knows the right way to get to right. He never makes any mistakes. He always does what is right. He is a righteous God. We know that he is righteous. Here's what else we know. Here's what's amazing. We know that everyone who practices righteousness... Now, I'm not talking about the people who are religious here. Because there are people who can do some good things without Jesus. 
In fact, the world is filled with people like that. He's talking about people who actually practice the righteousness of God, that walk as Jesus has walked and do the, the things that Jesus would want them to do. Here's proof of it. Here's why they do it. Because they've been what? Born of him. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. They've been born of him. They've been born again. They have a new birth. Not a new behavior. A new birth comes first. Now I say that because of this. This is the root fruit argument. The fruit is there because the root is there. You see a child that exhibits the parent's character. You know why? Because he shares in the parent's nature. We had a ping pong tournament on Friday night. You know who won? I didn't. My son did. You know why my son won? Because he's my son. <laughs> and I play well. And I want amen. You know what I mean? Give me an amen. Because I beat your husband. She's mad at me still. She still won't even talk to me. I beat her husband. I killed him. <laughs> not, that I'm, not that I'm a sorry loser. That's all I'm I'm telling you, I loved ping pong when I was a kid. Johnny is pretty good. You know why Johnny's pretty good? Because he shares in his fun. No, probably not. <laughs> Ellie's smart. Why is Ellie smart? There we go. <laughs> I love it. You're right. Amen. Hallelujah. Some good looking kids. That's her. There is a God. They share in our nature. They do things that we do. Bothers me sometimes. Because is that me? It is me. <laughs> they got it. Crystal does it. A person's righteousness is thus the evidence of his what? New birth. Not the cause or condition of it. Don't miss this. Some people try to be good to have a relationship with God. We can't. We must be born again. We must have the new birth. We must trust in Jesus and have him come into our lives. And once the new birth is there, then the new behavior begins. He says there's fruit. And that's exciting because there's a root. A child would exhibit the character of the Father. And if we are children of God, we're going to exhibit the character of our Father, our Heavenly Father. Let me, let me say this. This is why this is important. Because different churches emphasize different things. Are you ready for this? In some churches you go to, it's all about behavior. And if you just dress like us and use the same Bible like us and listen to the same music like us and you talk like us, you can be a part of us. It's all about behavior, externals, legalism. When their hearts are not right with God. Look at this next one. This church is when it's all about belonging. We want you to belong here. So what? You don't believe in Christ? Don't worry. We hike here. You can go hiking with us. We, we fish here too. You can fish with us. We just want you. Do you feel comfortable here? Just belong. Who cares what you believe? Belong. 
We want you to belong. And it comes nothing but a social club. There's a lot, of, a lot of clubs out there where you belong and you don't have to believe anything. You don't have to do anything. You just belong to them. That's not church. But yet the tendency is to lean towards that. We just want you to feel, we want you to belong here. Oh, you don't believe in Jesus? Don't worry. Don't worry. You don't, you don't want, you don't, you don't believe. Okay, it's okay. We just belong here. No, that's not what church is. Here's what church is. It's not about behavior. It's not just about belonging. Of course, we want you to belong, but here's what comes first. It's about believing in who Christ is. And, and let me tell you this. It better be about the new birth. See, we're here not just that you would just feel well and belong and say, wow, what a loving, we, I, I just feel, I just belong there. That's great. I hope you do feel that. But that's not what we're about. Because I'm here to tell you, once the new birth comes, guess what happens? The belonging, you start to feel, hey, I do belong. And guess what? The behavior changes because the Lord is there. The life is different because Jesus is now the king of your heart. I just uh, got a text uh, this week from Dustin. Remember him? What's his face we call him? Military what's his face? Military what's his face came here, didn't know Jesus. What's his face got saved. What's-his-face writes me this week. He goes, pray for us. We're going to try to foster children. They want to show and share the love of... They have kids their own, but they want to show and share the love of Christ. How did what's-his-face go from somebody who didn't believe in Jesus, come here, get saved, and now want to, seven years later, foster children and show and share the love of Christ? I'll tell you how what's-his-face does because there's a new birth. And when there's a new birth, guess what? There's a new what's-his-face. And the behavior change, and, and his life changes, and he, and he studies the Bible, and he has Bible studies, and he's reading, and it's just amazing to watch God. Why? The fruit's there because the root is there. So here's what he says. He says, Jesus is coming. He's coming at any moment. Abide in him. Make sure the fruit is there because the root is there. And when he comes, guess what? We're going to run into the arms of Christ and say, wow, he's back. Praise the Lord. And not shrink back and run. Here's the question. Are you prepared for the Lord's return? I heard a great illustration about this. There was a professor at a Bible college that the president of the Bible college says, I'm coming over to your apartment. He didn't tell him when. He just said, I'm coming. <laughs> the, 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 the professor went home, made sure this was clean, that was ready, this was clean, got this all going, got the house all ready for the president of the school to come. And he never came. Can you believe that? But he said, you know what? I was ready. When it says to prepare for the Lord's return, it's time to search our hearts. It's time to say, Lord, am I, re am I really in Jesus? Is there fruit because there's a root? If not, the first step is to come to Christ. 
And then once we come to Christ, then, then now we search our heart and we say, Lord, what am I living for? Am I abiding in Him? Am I obeying the Scriptures? Am I loving truth? Am I living for things that really matter so that when He comes, I'm not scared. I am ready for the Lord. See, it's funny that Brian said what he said about, let's get, you know, Lord, come, we're out of here, we'll go to heaven, everything's going to be fine. That, that, praise the Lord for, for that. But let me just tell you something. That's not why we're excited about going to heaven. We're excited about going to heaven because we're going to be with Jesus. And I know some, they're tired of this world and they're just ready to go. That's not why we want to come back. We want to be working, waiting, and ready for Him to come back. So when He comes, we run to Him and say, Thank you, Lord. Are you prepared? Are you prepared? Because He is coming. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we, we thank You so much for Your wonderful Word and how it challenges our hearts. It, it makes me think about my own life, how easy it is to be caught up in the temporal stuff, to let anger linger on, to not constantly check our hearts and say, Lord, how are we with You? Are we ready for your son's return. So Lord, I pray for each one in this room. Lord, you know the hearts. Maybe there's someone here today that hasn't put their trust in Christ. And when he comes back, they're going to run and try to hide. But where could they ever run from your presence? So Lord, I pray right now, right where they're at, that they would open up their hearts and say, I believe. I believe that I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, was buried and rose again, and I call upon Him to save me. You can do that right where you are, right in your heart, and then you will have no reason to shrink back because you're abiding in Him. Father, I pray for those, Lord, that maybe there's no fruit because there's no root. And they're wondering, why isn't there fruit in my life? When they should be asking, where's the root? And so, Lord, I pray that, Father, you would use this text to encourage our hearts. And if there's no fruit, it's not too late to accept the root and get saved. And if there is fruit, to rejoice that there is root, that we are born of you. And thank you for that. Because that's your work, not ours. You took the initiative. You sent your son. You brought that person into our lives. You had them share the gospel with us. You worked in our hearts and we believed by your grace. It's all of you. And so we thank you for that. So help us, Lord, to be ready. Help us to be working. Help us to be sharing Christ. Help us to be abiding in union and communion with Christ. And help us to be excited about His return. For when He comes, we can run into His arms and say, Our Lord is here. Thank you. In Jesus' precious name and for His glory. Amen. Amen.